This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to people of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the time when a labor union activist at a nuclear facility lost her life in a car accident. But was it really an accident, or was it an assassination? The day was November 13, 1974. Nuclear whistleblower Karen Silkwood was killed in a one-car crash under mysterious circumstances. The 28-year-old had worked as a chemical technician at the Kerr-McGee Plutonium Fuels Production Plant in Crescent, Oklahoma. She was also a member of the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union, or the OCAW. Silkwood had been openly critical of Kerr-McGee's safety measures, and in the months leading up to her death, she had been gathering evidence for the union to back up her claims that the plant was unsafe. After leaving a union meeting on the evening of November 13th, Silkwood was on her way to meet with a New York Times reporter, allegedly to hand over incriminating documents that proved her company had been negligent. She never made it to the meeting, and the unexplained circumstances of her death led many to speculate there had been foul play. Karen Silkwood was born in Longview, Texas on February 19th, 1946. She grew up in nearby Nederland, Texas, and after graduating high school, she went to study medical technology at Lamar State College in Beaumont. In 1972, Silkwood moved to Oklahoma City, where she got a job at Kerr-McGee as a technician in the metallography lab. She worked at the company's Cimarron fuel fabrication site near Crescent, Oklahoma. It was her lab's job to create plutonium fuel rods for the Atomic Energy Commission, the AEC. On a typical day, Silkwood would inspect the plutonium pellets that were used to make the fuel rods. She ensured the radioactive pellets were the correct size and that they didn't have any chips or cracks that might release radiation. After about three months on the job, Silkwood went on strike with her fellow workers to demand better health and safety programs and a wage increase. The strike went on for nine to ten weeks, but Kerr-McGee refused to meet the union's demands. In the end, the workers returned to their jobs with no higher wages and no improvements to health and safety protocols or training. Two years later, in the spring of 1974, Kerr-McGee ramped up production and required employees at the metallography lab to work 12-hour shifts seven days a week. The strain of this frenzied pace took its toll on the workforce, leading to an increase in spills and contaminations. Employees began quitting at an alarming rate, so the company hired increasingly untrained workers to prevent any pause in production. In early August, Silkwood became the first woman to be elected to the Employee Bargaining Committee at Kerr-McGee. 
Working with the other two committee members, Silkwood was tasked with documenting the many health and safety concerns at their nuclear facility. At the end of September, the committee would present its findings at a meeting with the Atomic Energy Commission. Silkwood spent about six weeks interviewing workers and combing through reports of contamination incidents. By the time of their testimony on September 27th, the committee had found 39 different examples of company negligence, including improper training, improper facilities, and failure to monitor worker exposure to radiation. After reviewing each example, the AEC concluded that 20 out of the 39 incidents were, quote, at least partially substantiated, if not entirely. The commission agreed to investigate these incidents, but sadly, Karen Silkwood didn't live to see it happen. In October 1974, she decided not to wait for the AEC to save the day. She started collecting hard evidence of the plant's contamination issues. She was viewed as a troublemaker by management, and even some other union members worried that she was making too many waves too quickly. But Silkwood couldn't be swayed. She started making plans to share her findings with the press in mid-November. On the evening of November 5th, Silkwood was polishing plutonium pellets during her 12-hour shift when an alarm went off on her gloves. The device was an alpha detector that monitored her gloves to make sure she wasn't being exposed to radioactive materials. According to the device, Silkwood's whole right arm was covered in plutonium. In a strange twist, additional tests showed that only the inside of her gloves were contaminated. The outside, which were the parts that had been in contact with the pellets, came back clean. Stranger still was that Silkwood's urine and feces were found to be radioactive, and so was the apartment she shared with a coworker. It's still a mystery how or why all this alpha activity wound up in her system and her home. After her death, Kerr McGee would suggest that maybe Silkwood had purposely contaminated herself by ingesting plutonium as a way to embarrass the company. I'll leave it to listeners to decide if that's really the most likely explanation. A week after the incident, Silkwood was cleared to return to work. After her evening shift on November 13th, she attended a union meeting at the Hub Cafe in Crescent. From there, she began driving to Oklahoma City, where she had arranged to meet with David Burnham, a reporter for the New York Times. According to him, Silkwood was finally going to share the documentation she'd been gathering since the September meeting with the AEC. However, while driving along Highway 74, Silkwood somehow crashed into a concrete culvert, a tunnel-like structure that provides cross-drainage under roadways. Police were called to the scene, but Silkwood was dead by the time they arrived. According to the autopsy, there was a large dose of quaaludes in her system, which would suggest she may have fallen asleep at the wheel. However, the accident investigator noted some puzzling irregularities at the scene. For starters, there were skid marks on the road, and a suspicious fresh dent on the rear bumper of Silkwood's car. 
These details indicated that a second car may have forced Silkwood off the road. Another curious detail was that State Trooper Rick Fagan claimed he had collected scattered papers at the scene and put them back in Silkwood's car. However, by the time her boyfriend arrived later that evening, the documents were nowhere to be found and were never seen again. Rumors swirled that Silkwood had been murdered as a way to silence Kerr McGee's most passionate whistleblower and to send a message to any others in waiting. Her story became the subject of countless books and articles, as well as a 1983 movie starring Meryl Streep as Silkwood. The ending of that film heavily implies that she was driven off the road by a car behind her. Still, there's no proof that the company was responsible for Silkwood's death. In light of this, her family filed a civil suit instead. They sought $11.5 million in damages, claiming that Kerr McGee's negligence had led to Silkwood's contamination in early November. This was when the company claimed that Silkwood had eaten plutonium to make them look bad. In the end, the suit was settled 12 years later for $1.3 million. As for Kerr McGee, it was forced to close its nuclear plant barely a year after Silkwood's death. The AEC's Better Late Than Never investigation had turned up numerous health and safety violations, just as Silkwood had reported. Kerr McGee spent the next three decades cleaning up the contamination it had caused in Crescent City. As of 2021, the groundwater under the old plutonium plant is still contaminated. Investigations are ongoing to determine just how far those contaminants may have traveled. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.